It was early March. The year was 2003. Lisa and I were living in England. It was our first year in England. And at some point, it dawned on me that Mother's Day was coming. Or perhaps it already come. That was about my, uh, my connection with that. And so I realized, I got to go get a card. So I raced out to the local card store to find a Mother's Day card. And when I showed up in the store, to my horror, there were none. Now, it's not that they were just sold out. There weren't any. Like, there weren't any slots. There were nothing that had anything to do with there being Mother's Day. So I said to the person working in the store, do you have any Mother's Day cards? And she looked at me very confused, like, you're a little late, aren't you? And I thought, well, a day or two? I mean, come on, what? how bad could that be? And she's like, no, you're about eight weeks late. I was like, what? She says, yeah, Mothering Sunday, which is what they call it in England. That was eight weeks ago. So at least that year, I had an excuse for why there was no card. But there was no card anywhere to be found. Well, that was my first introduction to the fact that America and England celebrate mothers on two different days. Now, why they do so is actually very interesting. And it highlights a tension that Mother's Day creates for Christians. And the tension is not simply on Mother's Day. It's a tension that all of us who are Christians feel at some point or another in our Christian walk, whether we are male or female, whether we have children or don't have children, whether or not we're old or young, a tension inherent in what it means to be a Christian. And this morning, I'd like to explore that tension by thinking first about how it is that England and America ended up with separate days on which to honor our biological mothers. Now, when I say biological mothers, which I'm going to use throughout the service today, I mean both biological and adoptive mothers. So please, I'm not going to be able to say that phrase every time, but please hear that when I'm talking about biological mothers, I'm talking about both those that who have given birth and those who have adopted children when we think about that. The idea of a Mother's Day where we celebrate those who are our biological mothers is an American invention. A woman came up with that idea in 1908. I can't recall her name off the top of my head for some reason at this point. But President Woodrow Wilson adopted that idea in 1914 and made it a national holiday. Now, in the founding of Mother's Day, it has no relationship to God whatsoever. There's no formal connection to God. Now, as Christians, we celebrate Mother's Day because we recognize that mothers are a gift from God, and so it's a good thing for Christians to do, but there's no inherent connection to God, to the church, or to the church's calendar when Mother's Day was created. When it began to be exported from America, other countries saw that, and also being appreciative of mothers thought, that's a good idea. It went really all over the world from America. 
When it got to England, however, although in America there is no church holiday uh, from years past to celebrate mothers, in England there was something on the church calendar in the Anglican church. It was called Mothering Sunday. And it was the fourth week of Lent, which is early spring, not the second week in May. And in England, the idea of Mother's Day and honoring those who are our mothers merged with this Mothering Sunday idea so that in England, they celebrate Mother's Day, so to speak, before Easter, whereas we celebrate it, as I found out, eight weeks or so later in May. Now, the interesting thing about Mothering Sunday is that it was not originally about biological mothers. That's not why it was on the church's calendar. It was called Mothering Sunday, but it had nothing to do with our moms. What it was about was celebrating your local church because the church acts as a mother to believers. And so there was a special Sunday set aside in the church's calendar to celebrate not biological relationships, but spiritual relationships. The bond that we have in Christ Jesus with others for whom we are not related to them in a familiar way. Well, this highlights attention that Mother's Day brings about and that Christians experience throughout the year. And that is a tension between our relationships with our family and our relatives and the relationships with those that we are spiritually connected to. The tension between our biological families and our spiritual families. For example, imagine tonight you have two invitations. One is from your small group. You'll be meeting tonight, getting together for a time of prayer and fellowship. The other is from your brother. Your niece is going to be playing in the finals of a soccer tournament, and he's invited you to come and participate. Well, how do you choose? Which of those two should take precedence over another? In one case, there is a spiritual relationship and a connection with others in Christ, and in the other, it's a biological connection with your brother and your niece. How do we manage those tensions? We all experience them. Torn between spiritual family and our relatives. Or imagine that you are a young parent and you've got young children. And although none of us like to think about it, we have to make provisions for what would happen to our children if we were no longer here. And as you're sitting down to prepare your will, you're faced with a choice. Do you leave your children to one of your siblings who's not a believer in Jesus? Or do you leave your children to one of your close Christian friends at church? Again, the tension between the connection with those we are biologically related to and those that we are spiritually related to. How do you manage through that tension? And the tension is something we all feel if we're Christians, but it's not just something that is current in our society today. Even in the scriptures, we can feel this tension. For example, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, Honor your father and mother. 
That's talking about your biological or adoptive father and mother. He also says in 1 Timothy 5.8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In these scriptures, emphasis and priority is being given on our biological relationships, on our relatives, our family relationships, and God's very clear we have responsibility to them. But you take those scriptures and you balance them against scriptures like in Mark, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 18, where Jesus says, I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Or even more powerfully, in Matthew 12, as Jesus is teaching a group of people, someone comes rushing in and says, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to speak to you. But instead of interrupting his teaching, Jesus simply replies, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Clearly, the emphasis there is on spiritual relationships, on the connections we have with others in faith in Christ. So even in the scripture itself, we have this tension between those we are related to in our families and those we are connected to spiritually. How do we navigate that tension? Well, as with so many things, Jesus himself not only gives us instructions, he provides the perfect example of how to do it. That's the passage we want to look at this morning. It's in John 19. Hopefully you are still there page 768, and in just these three verses, we have a picture from the life of Jesus that helps us navigate through the tensions we all feel between our relatives and our family on one hand, and the spiritual relationships we have with other Christians on the other. And there are two principles that we want to draw from this text that help us as we think through this issue. In the story, as you heard Trevor read it for us, Jesus is on a cross and there are some women present. One of those women is his biological mother, Mary. And Jesus here is making provision for Mary. He assigns her to what the text says, the disciple who Jesus loved, that's a sort of anonymous way to refer to the Apostle John who wrote the book. So Jesus is assigning his mother to John to take care of her, and John is looking after her, we are told, for the rest of his life, for the rest of her life, that he takes care of her and takes her in. Now there are two principles from this text important for us this morning. The first is this. In this story we see that Jesus honored and cared for his biological mother in accordance with the scriptures. Jesus honored and cared for his biological mother in accordance with the scriptures. Remember, there are four women present. Jesus does not interact with the other three. He doesn't say, hey, thanks for being here. He doesn't give them a last word of encouragement. 
It's his biological mother that he's worried about. It's his biological mother that he's thinking about. You see, we are quite confident that at this point, Mary is a widow. That Joseph has died most likely before Jesus even began his public ministry. But we are quite confident that he is gone and that Mary as a widow is dependent upon her oldest son, which is Jesus. That he has the responsibility for taking care of her, of providing for her. That's what the culture demanded and that's what the scriptures, 1 Timothy 5.8 say, must care for those in our own family. Before Jesus began his public ministry, he was a carpenter. We think that during that time, he used the income from his business in part to support his mom, to take care of her, to make sure that she was provided for. In that culture, there was nothing for a widow to do, to be able to work for herself. She was dependent upon her sons. And Jesus, we believe, fulfilled that role. Even after he began his public ministry, we think Jesus continued to fill that role. After all, that's why Mary's at the cross. It's not like she just happened to be in town to celebrate Passover and somebody said to her, hey, did you know that your son's being crucified? And that she headed over for moral support. That's not how she got there. Nor was she in some other region of the country and here's the news, she wouldn't have made it in time. What we deduce from this is that Mary has been with Jesus during his ministry, that she's been near him and close to him, and that while she hasn't shown up in every one of the stories in the Bible, that she's been around. And the reason she's been around is because Jesus has been taking care of her. He's been making sure she's looked after, making sure that she's cared for. And here, at this time, we see Jesus continue to fulfill that obligation that even in this most pressing moment, he's concerned about his mom. Who's going to take care of her? He's got to want someone to look out for her. Now, where is Jesus when this story is taking place? He's on a cross. He's dying. This helps remind people like me who sometimes think we're a little too preoccupied or a little too busy to worry about our moms. Jesus is kind of preoccupied here. He's sort of busy. This is kind of a stressful moment for him. But in the midst of dying, he's still thinking about his mom. He fulfills his obligation to his mother, which reminds all of us that we're not too busy and we ought not be too preoccupied to remember to honor and care for our biological parents. That's the first principle we draw from this passage. But there is a second. And in order to understand what this second principle is, we have to realize that as much as Jesus honors his mom, he does not allow his relationship with his mom to stand in the way of what God the Father is asking him to do. Clearly, no mother would want their son on a cross. Clearly, this is not Mary's choice for her son. And as much as Jesus loves and honors his mom, that must take a back seat to what God the Father has called him to do. Jesus is on that cross in obedience to his father. He still honors his mom. He still looks out for his mom. 
But that relationship is subverted to what he's being asked to do by God the Father. More than just that. Think about this for a moment. Who does Jesus leave his mom to? John. Who would society have said he should have left his mom to? His brothers. Jesus is not an only child. He has siblings. Now, we understand that they're half-siblings because Jesus' father is God. But from Mary's point of view, she has other biological children she has given birth to. Jesus' brothers. The question is, why does Jesus not leave his mother to one of his brothers? Because they're not believers. Remember what John chapter 7 verse 5 said? For even his own brothers did not believe in him. And here's the second principle that this story teaches us. That spiritual relationships supersede biological ones. That in Christ, the connection Mary has to John is stronger than the connection she has to her own children. Now, they will come to believe at least some of his brothers. But at this point in the story, they're not believers. And so Mary's connection to John is stronger and deeper. And so Jesus leaves her not to one of his brothers, but to one of his disciples. See, there is a saying, which is true, that blood is thicker than water. But the Bible teaches us that spirit is thicker than blood. Blood is thicker than water, but spirit is thicker than blood. When you and I come to faith in Jesus, it's a game changer. It changes everything. All our relationships are reordered based on our relationship with Christ. And so while Jesus does honor and care for his biological mother, he also gives precedent to spiritual relationships over biological ones. Now, in Jesus' case, his biological mother is also a believer. It's the best of both worlds. And in many of our cases, our relationship with family members are both biological and spiritual. But there are cases where they are in conflict and Jesus shows us that the spiritual ones take priority and precedence. Now, what does this look like in practical life? Let me give you five applications from these two principles for our lives today. The first is this. It's pretty simple. We need to honor our fathers and mothers that those who have given birth to us or adopted us into their family deserve honor. What that looks like is that we look out for them, we care for them, we take care of them, we make sure that we are grateful to them, we spend time with them. Yes, it's not to the exclusion of what we're doing in the kingdom, but no one, including Jesus, is too busy, too preoccupied to not honor his mother. And we ought to be the same. Mother's Day is a good thing. 
It's good for Christians to sit down and celebrate the fact that a mom, that's a gift from God. Even the most flawed moms still are a gift from God. And the first application of this principle is, is that we need to follow the example of Jesus and honor our mothers and our fathers. The second application is earlier in the sermon I said one of the tensions you can feel is if you're a parent like me who has young children and you're trying to decide what would happen to our children if we were to die. My advice to you based on this passage is I would not leave them to a non-believer. I don't care if it's your closest twin brother. I don't care if you have shared life together from the womb. When you are a believer in Jesus, that's a deeper relationship. And I would not leave my children to somebody who is not a Christian or was only nominally a Christian in name only. Instead, a person who is close to you and your church family, a spiritual brother or sister in Christ, that would be who my advice to you would be where to entrust your children. The third piece of application is that if you are here this morning and you're thinking to yourself on Mother's Day, I kind of feel guilty that I love my mom, but I love my dad, but I love my siblings, but I feel closer <laughs> to my friends at church. I feel a stronger connection to my Christian friends than I do to my biological family. And on a day like Mother's Day, you might feel guilty about that. I'm here to tell you in this passage that there's no reason to feel guilty about that. That this is the example Jesus has set for us. That our deeper relationships are with those that we have a spiritual connection to. It doesn't mean we stop honoring our family members or stop taking care of them. But if you feel in your heart a deeper connection with those you're not related to, that's okay. I mean, after all, who does Jesus have a deeper connection to? His biological brothers or his disciples? His disciples. Who's he with on the last night of his life on earth? His disciples. Who does he take with him to the Garden of Gethsemane to open up his heart and pour out his soul to them? It's his disciples. That's who he's closest to. He honors his biological family, but his deeper relationships are with those who have faith in him. And if you're here this morning and that's where you find that commonality and that connection is with others that you have no connection to as a relative, but only in Christ, that's a good thing. Fourth piece of application. If you're here as a woman and you are not a biological or adoptive mother, you may feel like, from the culture's point of view, that you are a second-class citizen, that somehow you have failed to live out God's purpose in creating you as a woman. Nothing could be further from the truth. That what Jesus is doing here is he is prioritizing spiritual relationships 
And if you as a woman are saying, why was I created with this innate desire to nurture and to care and to love? It's because God wants you engaged in spiritual mothering. I mean, after all, John is not Mary's biological child. But notice, Jesus does not just say to John, hey, make sure you take care of my mom. That's not what he says. What he says is, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, he says, here is your mother. You see, God has given Mary a spiritual son. At this point, none of her other children are believers. And God gave to her a spiritual child that she could invest in, that she could pray for, that she could look out for, that she could advise, that she could worship together with. And if you ask Jesus, he will do the same for you. If you ask him to make you a spiritual mother in someone's life, it doesn't matter what your age is, he will bring along those that you can pour into. Now, what does it look like to be a spiritual mother? There's a woman in our church. Her name is Darla. She was in a Bible study that Lisa and I were leading uh, three, four months ago. One of the evenings, we got an email saying that she was going, she wanted to know if she could come when she came, if she could bring uh, a young teenage boy that she had been working with for the past four or five years. He was part of a larger group that she had gotten connected with through a missions thing that Calvary does with uh, Bangla Bible Camp. She sent us an email and said, would it be all right if I brought him to the Bible study? Sure, fine. So here she comes. Uh, Darla comes with this young man. And uh, over the past five or six years, I think it had been, she had drawn close to him and had looked out for him, helped him find Jesus and was watching him grow in the faith. And she was praying for him regularly and caring for him and trying to help him. And he was getting ready to leave for the military. And just like any mother would be, she was nervous and scared. And she wanted us to pray over him and commit him to the Lord and ask if we would pray that God would find him spiritual friends in the military. She was a spiritual mother to him. Darla is not married and has no biological children of her own, but these are her children. That doesn't make her a second-class citizen in God's kingdom. It means she's living out what Jesus showed us here, that spiritual relationships take priority, that these are important. And so if you are a woman here and you say, I want to nurture and care and look after and pray for and worship with, ask God. Ask Jesus to bring into your life even if you have biological or adoptive children. Ask him to bring into your life those that you can be a spiritual mother toward, that like Mary, you can pour yourself into another person. Which brings us to the fifth point of application, which is it's the same truth that's true for us whether you're a woman here or not. The point of what Jesus is saying is, is that he has designed us to experience deep spiritual relationships in the church. That's why there was a mothering Sunday on the church calendar, is because Christians have recognized it's important to honor and recognize spiritual relationships. So I got a question for you. If you are a young parent here, and you have young children, is there somebody in the Calvary Church family you would be willing to leave your children to? Do you have that kind of relationship with somebody in this church? Or if you are an older adult here, is there somebody you have a relationship in this church that you can say, that's my spiritual son? 
That's my spiritual daughter. I've poured into that person. I love my biological children, but that's my spiritual child, and I love them too. Or if you're here and you had to leave your mom or dad to the care of somebody, do you have the kind of relationship with somebody in this church that you would say, yeah, I could ask them? If you don't, that's a problem. Let me put it to you this way. When I say to you that spirit is thicker than blood, and in your mind you begin to run through, is that really true or not? And as you're thinking through, is that really true? What faces of people in this church came to mind? Is it somebody you work in the parking lot with? Is it your small group? Is it an accountability partner? As you're cataloging faces and names in your mind that you go, oh yeah, that is true. I think about my relationship with so-and-so. That is deeper than my connection to my sibling. Who are those people when I say spirit is thicker than blood that you go, yeah, amen, that's right. If nobody in this church came to mind, that's a problem. It's a failure on our part, and it's a failure on your part. You see, God has not designed church to simply be this place where we all get together once a week and worship and then go our separate ways. It's designed to be a family a place where we feel these kinds of deep connections, where we have the people that we are close enough to that we say, yeah, I could entrust my parents to them. Yes, I could entrust my children to them. This is how Jesus has set it up, that when we have faith in him, the kinds of relationships that we can experience so far exceed what we can have with biological family members. And so my encouragement to you this morning is, is if you don't have those kinds of relationships here at this church, we want to help you develop them. You need them. We want you to have them. This is how Jesus has designed for it to work. So this Mother's Day, two principles I want you to take away from the life of Jesus. One is, is that every single person in this room should honor and care for those in our biological families especially our moms. And that we ought to give priority and emphasis to developing spiritual relationships among those who are our fellow believers in Christ Jesus. Those two principles will help you as you navigate through the tensions that we all feel between family and spiritual family. Let's pray together. Guide us, Lord, as we think through these things. Thank you for the example of Jesus. Thank you that in the midst of confusion, he brings clarity. Lord, I pray for each person here. Perhaps there are some who have, we have rationalized that we're too busy, too important, too stressed out to be concerned about our mothers or our fathers. Remind us from Jesus' example that that ought not be so. Lord, I pray there are some here today, I know it, who when I say spirit is thicker than blood, they feel empty. When I ask, Lord, about their relationships in this church, they feel alone. Lord, would you meet them in this moment? Would you tell them that that's not the way you want it to be? That a big church does not have to function that way. And God, I pray that you would provide them with the spiritual connections here at this church that they need and that you want them to have. 
God, I pray especially for those who are here, whether they are biological or adoptive mothers or not, that if there are women in this place who long to be spiritual mothers, that you would hear their prayers and you would bring to them those who they can pour into the nurture, the love, and the care that you want and have given to them. Thank you, Lord, for this reminder and this opportunity. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.